Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, everyone else, all the people. Welcome to episode seven of the Kentucky Roundball Roundup featuring your two fantastic hosts, Zach Gagan and Jack Pilgrim. That was as energetic as I will be the rest of the episode, probably, but I feel like I did a pretty good job there. Jack, how are you doing? I am great. We have been waiting for this moment. You know, the, 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 the listeners need some, some uplifting in their lives because Kentucky basketball freaking sucks right now. And they just need a little bit of a, you know, little pep in their step. So I'm very glad that you are providing that for them. Well, one team sucks. The, the Kentucky men's basketball team is trash right now. But the women's team, hot damn and hallelujah, they're getting things done. Mm-hmm. Whatever you said. Yep, I agree. So we'll probably split, uh, we could do some splits this time. We didn't get to talk about the women's team that much last time, but we'll definitely get to them today because they are 5-0, and ranked number nine in the country, doing well with uh, good things in the future. So, But we'll start with men's basketball, as we typically do. Uh, Jack, you got any optimism that you can start off with after a brutal, brutal loss to a Georgia Tech team that wasn't as bad as uh, everyone, I guess, was trying to make them out to be? Brandon Ramsey, when he came on here last time, even kind of forewarned everyone that Georgia Tech isn't as terrible as they might seem to be because now they've actually started doing physical practices and things of that nature and playing a few more games so any optimism on your end today or can we can we be sad um let me just say that the whole uh post Moorhead State optimism that I you know said that I was going to come back guns a blazing holy hell did that backfire in my face very quickly um yeah, that was a – I don't think you could ask for a worse turnaround in terms of, like, producing content for this show. <laughs> How much we were hyping this. A lot me, of backtracking. You were, you were not – oh, ton of backtracking, man. This has been an absolute mess and a half. It's been horrible basketball watching experience. And guess what? I've been – I've had to drive to go watch these garbage games in person. So – my punishment has been driving six hours back all the way down there and all the way back up from, from, uh, well, you're not, you're not going to like, you know, the Hills of wherever, you know, you're going to Atlanta. It's Atlanta, but to be fair, driving all that distance down there to see an empty arena, that that experience is absolutely horrible. I feel horrible for the kids because it's, it's like you're playing a big con- convention center with nothing. I mean, it's just awkward. It's just, it, it's horrible. I, I just, I want the, the the neutral site games to just freaking come to an end as soon as they possibly can, because the 15% that we get at Rupp Arena or whatever, it's not great. It's still pretty darn quiet in there, but it's Bandy at least football vibes. What we get right now is just absolutely horrible. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, – these what last two games have court? been horrible. How about on the court? Okay, optimism on the court. Uh, well, actually, let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me ask you this first. Is this the worst start in Cal's tenure here? Oh, by far. Yeah, I yeah. think this is the worst start since the Pretty 01, easy to say that. 01 season with Tubby, oh, I believe. I couldn't One even three. tell you what happened then. 
Yeah, I'm pretty pretty certain it's it was the 01 season with Tubby. Um, something <laughs> something like maybe 2000, whatever it was. Um, yeah, the the worst start since then. You know, with the Richmond and Kansas games, you were able to look at it and kind of, you know, with a caveat of, okay, well, Richmond's an experience. They're not as top-heavy talent-wise, but they're at least experienced. They're strong. They're, you know, they're, they have a lot of size. You could you could at least look at that and go, yeah, uh, you know, Kentucky loses to teams like that all the time. No big deal. Then you go to Kansas, and you're like, well, it's Kansas. It's a Champions Classic. It's a weird environment for the first time ever with no fans, with – the weird echo in the, in the arena and, you know, the big NBA arena, just colossal mess that was that we talked about last week. Um, you, you know, you could look at both of those, those first two losses and go, okay, well, we could have won those games. We probably should have won both of those games, but it's understandable that they didn't. This one, there is no redeemable, um, you know, reason to be optimistic. That was a bad loss without a doubt. Yeah. Brandon said that this, Georgia Tech team wasn't as bad as as they, you know, people are kind of hyped them up to be. They're not, but the, it's, it's still, still a team. It's whatever. still a team that that Kentucky should have beaten by ten plus, maybe yeah. even fifteen, maybe even twenty. And I even said when they went on that little run there early in the second half, where they cut it down to three, they went that small ball lineup. Um, I went down there with Sean Smith at Go Big Blue Country, and we kind of looked at each other on pressed row, and we were like. Was that the was that the little run they needed? Was you know is that a is that the you know the hurrah moment for this team? Have they realized what they finally are? And they get, they cut it down to three, and then immediately give up like a ten zero run the other way, and it ends up being a blowout. I mean, it's just an absolute mess of a team right now. The offense is just has nothing going for it. Um, they don't know how to play as a team. They have no point guard. It's it's just a flat out mess right now. Well, and they they have had those two little runs in that, that Kansas game and the Georgia Tech game where you're like, okay, so that's you know that's where they can kind of put it together, especially in that Georgia Tech game with that Terrence Clark run specifically. He played pretty decent, at least in the first half. He played really well, I thought. Um, but it was you you saw those little stretches of okay, so they obviously can put it together for you know, four or five minutes, it's just, it's obviously going to take a while to get to those 40 or 35 minutes at least of putting it together. So there were little signs of, or shines of greatness there, or not necessarily greatness, but, you know, good enough basketball that they should be able Spurts to be. of of optimism, yes. Yeah. So, but I did really, really like what I saw from Terrence Clark, and it's very clear that we're going to have to involve him in a little bit more. I'm not entirely sure I want to see him necessarily playing point guard, because I feel like when he was at his best was when he was kind of playing off ball and just you know, getting, letting the offense kind of more come to him as opposed to him creating it. So I don't know if that point guard transition would necessarily be that easy. And obviously it's pretty clear that as bad as the ask you is right now, he's going to be our guy at that position. So the Clark stuff I did, I did enjoy. Um, I know you wanted you or you Clark was your guy of the night, at least. What'd you see? Yeah. And I think that's probably the only positive takeaway that you could come up with from that game is, Hey, we've had questions of whether or not Terrence Clark can shoot the basketball. I mean, can, is he a pure slasher? Is he going to be like a Michael Cade Gilchrist type guy where, you know, you're going to be able to get some, some rugged defense out of him. You know, you're going to be able to get some tough finishes at the basket, but can he shoot a lick? And to start the year? No, he could not. I mean, he missed every single opportunity he had from deep. And then to be um, fair, most of them couldn't most of them, but this game, he really felt like a true catch and shoot shooter. I mean, like a, he he 
every single shot opportunity that he had, you felt like it was going to fall. I mean, he was, he was feeling himself. He was doing all the right things with the basketball. And I still think um, if this team wants to live up to, to its potential, right. Uh, you know, long-term, I do think that at the end of the day, we will be seeing Terrence Clark permanently shift to the point guard position. I do. I think when you, when you're a point guard in the sec and more importantly at a powerhouse like Kentucky, you have to be able to beat defenders off the dribble. You're, you have to find a way to create space for open shots for your teammates or open driving lanes to the rim. You, you, you can't over dribble and you, you know, move laterally side to side without getting any positive movement. If that makes sense. A lot of times, with Devin Askey, we're getting a lot of dribbling and we're going, you know, back and forth across the perimeter, but we're not going anywhere with the ball. And Terrence Clark is truly a guy that he can get anywhere on the floor that he wants because he does have that quickness, because he is smart enough with the basketball and because he is confident enough with the basketball right now that, yeah, he might turn the ball. He, you know, he might cough it up every once in a while, but you can trust him to do the right thing with the ball and at least, set up other teammates to, you know, for success. So I think long-term Terrence Clark is going to be the guy. And I think putting uh, Devin Askew and uh, Davion Davion Mintz uh, on both wing positions, being a, a, you know, catch and shoot guys, I think that's a a fantastic idea. I would love to see both of them in just pure catch and shoot. That's what like Emmanuel quickly was his freshman year where I think I think some of the same concerns we have about Devin Askew we had about Emmanuel quickly his freshman year where same dribble separation questions can he do anything with the ball in his hands or does somebody else have to create that for him year one he could not and he had to be a catch and shoot guy but when he finally realized that was his role he thrived he was fantastic think about all the clutch shots that he made as a as a freshman didn't average a whole lot of points and that was kind of all he did bring to the table was catch and shoot opportunities but that was a necessary thing for that team. And, and I think that would be a huge plus for this team if we can get Devin Askew rolling as a shooter. Uh, and even Davion Mintz, I think the quick trigger response right now is uh, Devin Askew isn't good enough and, and Davion Mintz needs to be the starter. But what has Davion Mintz done for you as a true point guard? I, th- I know he had, what, his six, six assists game against Georgia Tech. But even still, he has his flaws too. He's not a pure point guard. He's a combo guard. He's a – you know, he, he probably would be better suited as an off ball two or, a, you know, even just a, a, a short-term point guard solution. I don't think he's the the complete answer and all be all at point guard. So I, I think Cal has – the Cal is very telling in all of his media opportunities. Every – the last time – the last four times we've talked to him, he has said our positions are written in pencil. Everything's written in pencil. Nothing is is written in stone basically hinting that yeah we're 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 transitioning into the Terrence Clark point guard era here at Kentucky so I I think long term that's going to be the answer for Kentucky and I think from there it's going to be what's the 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 rest of the you know the the puzzle piece or the how where do you put the puzzle pieces in place to get this system working right now and I think there are a lot of questions in the front court I'm, I'm Zach I'm interested in finding your thoughts about the front court pairing of Isaiah Jackson and Olivier Saar right now. Does it work for you? Do you think they need to be on the floor together? Do they need to be separated? What do you think would be, if, if you were in Coach Cal's shoes right now, what would you do? 
Let me go back to the, the backcourt thing real quick. And just one of the things I had written down about Devin Askew from the Georgia Tech game was that he was just too scared with the ball was the one thing I wrote about Devin Askew. And Brandon was talking about last time about, you know, just getting the ball into it, like at least to the three-point line. And Devin Askew cannot confidently dribble the ball to the three-point line without feeling that he's going to get ripped. And most of the time that's the case. So as far as Terrence Clark still going, you know, transferring to the point guard position, you're right. It probably is the best, you know, thing that's going to happen. I still just – until Calipari does something like that, I just – has he ever, you know, done something like that where he t- he's taken a guy that's, you know, six seven from the sh- shooting guard role and put him into a point guard position when he has a guy that's built, you know, physically kind of built for that position already? I just feel like that's not necessarily something that he's done before. And if he was someone who had been, you know, going from – more NBA modern offenses, like he said he was, which hasn't been the case necessarily through a few games. I might believe that a little bit more, but until I actually see, you know, Terrence Clark playing point guard minutes consistently, uh, I think he's going to try and work with Devin Askew. I do think you're right though. And still saying that obviously Terrence Clark playing point guard might be the best option just because no one's Devin Askew can't score like him or play or even dribble like him or anything close like that. And obviously, Go for it. I was just going to say, real quick before you jump into the front court, Tyreek Evans, uh, there was a stat I saw when Cal was at Memphis back in 08, that 08 and 09 year. Um, it took 11 games into the year with Cal struggling with his lineups, trying to figure out what to do. They That, that team was a pretty chaotic mess mm-hmm. as well. Uh, he decided at the end of the day that Tyreek – played like small forward at times in high school shifted to the point guard every once in a while like if you look at his recruiting chart like his recruiting profile he'll he's listed at small forward some places he's listed at shooting guard most places and he's listed as at at point guard just very few places so it was all over the board with him nobody really knew what he was kind of similar to what you would say about Terrence Clark what just immediate thought what position is Terrence Clark is he a small forward? Is he probably a shooting, a shooting guard? guard? Maybe. Same situation. Six, same. Same. Tyreek Evans to go to point guard. So I, I get where you're going with that. But he said uh, the stat was after 11 games, Tyreek took over the point guard position, and they didn't lose again until the NCAA tournament. They well, won so, every single game. So. So, th- so there's your precedent, I guess. We have uh, 11 or 12 years ago. So hopefully yeah. it doesn't take. <laughs> hopefully it doesn't take 11 games for him to do that. Yeah. But you know. Now I guess I'll, I'll kind of – we can kind of, you know, wait and see at this point. You know, if Kentucky mm-hmm. continues to struggle at this point, maybe he does. But let's say, you know, Kentucky starts winning again. You know, let's say we beat Notre Dame, Askew plays okay. You know, Terrence Clark plays pretty well. It, I feel like winning will just kind of correct these issues if Kentucky continues to kind of plummet at this position, especially with Devin Askew just playing like piss. Sorry, yeah. Devin, but you are. Then maybe I can see that, that transition happening a lot quicker. But – so we'll see. Yeah, I would. I'd, I'd like. I like that. There's a precedent now for it. At least I didn't know that that was the deal with him. I thought Tyreek Evans was just always playing point guard. Yeah, yeah. It was a. Yeah. That was a interesting dynamic that I think Cal's hand was kind of forced. Same situation, but it, it, again, before you jump, those into are the, kind of con- like comparable players too, Tyreek and Terrence Clark. Yeah. If you want to just kind of break it down. Yeah, I I just don't want people to look at Devin Askew right now and think. Oh, that's a lost cause. He's done. He needs to transfer out because senior in high the school. Reason, the reason why we are in this situation right now is because people give up on their play, on Kentucky players way too quickly. You put all that, not you, but 
the the average Kentucky fan puts so much pressure on kids that are obviously not ready for that next step up yet, and they either Johnny Juzang it or they EJ Montgomery it, where they say or Khalil Whitney, whatever the case is. Johnny Juzang looked at looked at himself in the mirror and said, "Well, everybody doesn't think I'm good enough to play at Kentucky right now." Coach Jamal Cal Baker. yells at me all the time. Jamal Baker, Michael Mole, you know, you go down the list. There's there's you know, a hundred of them, even Derek Willis, Cal, you know, yelled at him just endlessly nonstop had the shortest leash with him. You could possibly dream of before he finally did, you know, before he became Derek Willis at Kentucky. Man, I'll say you can hear Cal yelling at poor Devin Askew all yeah, game long, it's just, especially it, it, right I now. Just, I'm still bad for him sometimes. I do because I, it's very obvious that Devin is not ready yet, but he has shown a lot of very, you know, short spurts of doing good things. Like yeah. I said, it's this not on, bad I by any means. I said this on KSR. I said this on KSR this week. He gets himself into very good positions and almost like, like his natural basketball instinct kicks in where he'll do something cool with the ball and, and he'll, he'll find himself in a solid position and then he'll psych himself out and be like, Oh wait, I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, pass or yeah. oh, uh, I gotta I gotta shoot a bad shot. You know, he mm-hmm. he psychs himself out almost. And the most frustrating part of it is because Devin Askew, one of the best thing, one of his best traits coming out of high school was that he was a confident, unrattleable. Is that even a word? I don't know. Sure. He he was just an unfazed basketball player that you could. I mean, it didn't matter who was going up against him. He wasn't going to get he wasn't going to you know get shaken up. He doesn't have that confidence right now. He was, you know, in, in high school, he was the, yeah, I understand. He's not the most athletic. He's not the most laterally quick guy. Uh, he's not going to dunk on you, you know, the, the same way some other Russell Westbrook type athletes are going to dunk on you. He's, he's not that type of player, but he's going to beat you by being a competitor, by being a confident son of a bitch. And, you know, like, I mean, they're just, there are a lot of, of really, high-profile winning characteristics about Devin Askew's game that Kentucky needs long-term. He's not that right now, but I promise you down the road, the reason why Jalen Brunson was Jalen Brunson at Villanova and those type of players where, again, like Askew, not the most athletic, not the fastest, not the quickest, blah, 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 but they they hung around and they're, they're – into the, the best traits that they had coming out of high school eventually translated into the college game. And that's what – it's going to happen with Askew one day. And I want fans to be patient with him and understand that, yeah, he's not the short-term solution right now. And it's it, it's okay to say Cal needs to, you know, probably sit him just a little bit longer, experiment with Terrence Clark at the point guard position, shoot, even have Davion Minson there, whatever the case is. However you want to say it, if the answer is less minutes for Devin Askew, it's not a bad thing to say, but – I don't want play him less right now equate to he's not good enough for Kentucky. Get him the hell out of here because that's not true. It's not, he's, he is good enough to be here at Kentucky. He's just not ready to be the high profile contributor. Maybe we all anticipate going into it. So uh, I just, I just stress again, fans, just be patient with him. He will get there eventually. He's learning. He should be still, he should still be a senior in high school. One day it will click for him and and he will be a, a very, very good point guard here at Kentucky. Love to hear it. All right, front court talk. So what was your initial question? That was like forever ago. I, I was just saying, okay, Sorry, we, might have, we might have our answer at point guard, at least theoretically, hypothetically. 
theory, like the we maybe Terrence Clark is the answer, whatever. But there are still a whole lot of questions about the front court and how what, what's the long term solution there. And I think it's totally fair to ask: Are Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson, you know, compatible with one another? Are they, are they complementary pieces in the front court right now, or are they? doing more harm than good by playing them together right now. Well, I think I said, I even said last time that I don't, I would rather one of them play the five and then just kind of go from there and see, see how they, I think it's pretty clear as well that Isaiah Jackson is bound to be a lottery pick at some point. Like that's yeah. just, it, that's going to happen. Uh, it, it, after that Georgia tech game, like I'd kind of understood the hype and then going to the Kansas game, he looked really good, but I mean, it's just, He's just doing it all the time now. So it's clearly, it's very obvious that this is just who he is, is just a freak, freak, freak athlete, like Willie Colley-Stein, Anthony Davis type athlete. So some of his blocks, you I look at seen here. And, I haven't seen and you're anybody. like, that's something that I have never seen here at Kentucky. Like Even slap it with, out of the air and then grab it again. Before there was one, that one there was one that. that he, he pinned it and he kind of cradled it and took it down with him. And I was like, yeah, oh God. that was nasty. That was like so, that was filthy. That was pretty gross. Like yeah. there's spurts of that where it's like it's it's very clear that by the end of the season Isaiah Jackson is probably going to be a, he might be a better player than Olivier Saar because I'll be honest with you, Olivier Saar is just not physical at all right now or nearly enough physical, especially against these teams. So I don't know how he's going to do it against SEC. It's like Tennessee's going to destroy him with all those big guys down there. So unless Olivier Saar can start actually, you know, playing a little bit more physical, I think he's, you know, his jump shot's obviously nice and stuff like that. But unless he's going to be an actual threat down there, whether it's rebounding or blocking shots or getting up post hooks, whatever it is, he's just, he's not doing anything that's big enough that we we need. And if Isaiah Jackson isn't going to be that, if he's going to be just as kind of, lanky and skinny and weak as Olivier Saar, then we'd much rather have Isaiah Jackson in because he's going to still block shots and he's got the same kind of, he can step out and at least hit a mid range shot we've seen. So, and he can get to the rim a little bit easier. So I think it's just, it's becoming clear right now that the best for the team would be to try and play them separately. And uh, that way, at least, you know, you're still going to have at all times, you're going to have a really, you know, I theoretically a good center in, in the game at all times. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty telling today. Um, Olivier Sars spoke to the media. And mind you, Notre Dame was the one game that Olivier Sar that was his breakout moment. He had 30 and 17, I believe, last year against mm-hmm. Notre Dame. So if there's one game for him to kind of shut everybody up and say, hey, I am who you guys thought I was, it's going to be uh, on, on Saturday against Notre Dame. But I thought it was very telling during his pre preview press conference, I guess. Um, one of the media members asked, um, hey, Calipari said the other day that he's wondering if there's a junkyard dog on this team. If there's if there's a somebody on this team, on this roster that's capable of living up to that junkyard dog role um, that, you know, a lot of championship level teams have. And Olivier Saar said, oh yeah, we have a ton of those. We have BJ Boston, Terrence Clark, Lance Ware, Cameron Fletcher, even Isaiah Jackson. He started listing off like five or six names and didn't say his own. Like he does not, he, he, he really doesn't see himself as a, and I mean, would you describe him as a junkyard dog? Of course not. Like, you I mean, that's literally what you just said. He's been, he's playing kind of soft right now. And that's, I mean, 
I think that's something that needs to be fixed and it needs to be fixed quickly. But I thought it was kind of telling that when he had the opportunity to be like, yeah, I kind of see myself as a junkyard dog. I got punched in the mouth against Georgia tech. I got, you know, I got destroyed. And one of the like lead up questions to that question was Calipari said that you, uh, that the team as a whole got punked against Kansas and then there's, you know, man, I think it was manhandled. And they said, and he said, and Calipari said specifically that you got manhandled down low against Georgia tech. Do you guys have a junkyard dog on this team? Blah, blah, blah. So part of the question was, Hey, you up. got, <laughs> you got manhandled or does this team has a junk, have a junkyard dog on it? Kind of hoping that he would be like, yeah. And he didn't, he didn't use that opportunity to be like, yeah, I got punched in the mouth. I hated the way I played against Georgia tech. I'm, I'm stronger than you guys think I am. I'm, you know, stronger willed. I'm, you know, I have a stronger personality than you guys think I am. I'll, I'll get this turned around. He didn't use it. He said, yeah. Uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five different players have junkyard dog personalities, but didn't include him in that list. And I thought that was kind of, telling and kind of worrisome to be totally honest i i i want i want sar to look at himself in the mirror and be like yeah i i did not live up to um that hype against georgia tech i think he's had great moments i think he has the the you know the potential to be a very high level player here at at kentucky i still think that 15 and 8 type season uh, is very very possible for him but i I think this notre dame game is going to be very telling for him I, i really do well, he must have been lying if he was listening off all those names to begin with or not know what he was talking about because Cameron Fletcher might be the only guy that you could describe as a junkyard dog, if you will, on this team. So maybe the question just threw him for an entire loop because he obviously didn't answer it truthfully at all. So yeah, I'll give him possible. the benefit of the doubt there because do you see six junkyard dogs on this team? I don't. And what's kind of frustrating about it is doing all the preseason interviews and all that – Lance Ware was one of the guys that his coach, his AAU coach, um, I think Coach Cal said during the one, like one of the very first preseason interviews that he did, literally used the used the term junkyard dog for Lance Ware. I mean, literally, that was his term for Lance Ware coming into it. And I got to be honest, I'm going to be try to be as fair here as possible, but I think Lance Ware has probably been the the most disappointing. Um, player i mean looking at his rating he's playing probably exactly what he should be at his at his rating but um i genuinely thought that he would be giving us some level like a a defensive and rebounding effort that nobody else on the roster could and he's not i think he's really struggled pretty pretty hard against strong defend strong uh, uh, offensive pieces he is he's really struggled on defense and I think his confidence is a little bit rattled right now as well. Um, and Cal keeps just kind of force feeding him into the lineup, keeps saying, hey, you know, we want you to work here. And and every single time he's out there, I just – every time I look at him, I'm like, I, he's not ready yet. He's just not. I just don't – he's year two. He's going to be a very strong year for him. I'm, I'm excited about what he's going to bring to the table in year two. But um, maybe even by the end of this year. But right now, he's definitely not the junkyard dog that – Cal kind of Cal and everybody close to him kind of hyped him up to be. So yeah, you ask who are the junkyard dogs? I don't know. I think personality wise, probably Terrence Clark is the closest you're going to get to that, you know, scrappy. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to put my team on my back and, you know, do that. BJ Boston is a strong personality person, you know, that he, he wakes up at five 45 every morning to go work out. And he's, 
he's he's the new breakfast club guy so maybe him as well but Cameron Fletcher is the only guy that you can look at right now and say boom that's the one that's the junkyard and the fact that he played one minute yesterday on Sunday against Georgia Tech after starting two games before that I thought it was a very very strong and I feel bad for these kids because you know that has to be such a reassuring thing to know, oh, what I'm doing in practice right now is working for Coach Cal. He trusts me enough to start tonight. And then two games later, call his name once, one minute, and then he gets pulled and then his time's on. You know, it, it's, it, it has to screw with your confidence as a kid that's trying to find it and find his, you know, find his role on this team and, and his place in this program. And to, to the up and down minute count and starting versus barely even getting off the bench. And I mean, it's just, it's rough. I mean, I think Cal's just as desperate as we are to find solutions. So he's kind of just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping something sticks with rotations and lineups. But I, that that's one kid that I think there's no reason for the rest of this, this year that he plays one minute. I mean, I just, I just think he brings such valuable defensive effort, just intensity, rebounding, all that stuff. Um, that you need, that Cal Perry loves. I, I think that he's just way too valuable to be sitting on the on the bench. A guy that I would like to see more of is Jacob Toppin. Really, I think Toppin needs more minutes. I think in his in in his limited roles over the last two games, I really genuinely think he's done more good than bad, and he has at least shown the ability to take the ball to the rim. Um, if he's put in a position to do so, which you can't really say about like a guy like Lance Ware or even Devin Askew at times. So I think his, his athletic ability, you know, he had, I think he had a dunker, he had a dunk against Georgia Tech, right? An alley-oop or something like that. Uh, he, he was the, he was the only dunk of the game. Yes. Yeah. So I think he just brings a little bit of, I don't know. I don't even want to say energy because I think the whole team kind of lacks energy for the most part, but yeah. I do, I do think that Jacob Toppin has performed well in his last couple minutes, even if they aren't you know, perfect. I definitely think he's done better than some of the other options we've looked at. So I will, I, I, he's definitely still raw, obviously, and probably can't shoot a lick. But I do like the fact that he is at least willing and capable and one of the only guys that's really right now strong enough to actually kind of get to the basket and maybe put up a, a shot that's not going to get you know bodied into the second row. So I do like that about him. And I don't know how many more minutes he's realistically going to get, but, you know, if he can get 10 a game, 10, 10 12 a game, I really think he'll, he just continues to come in and contribute just enough to make it worth it. I, I do say that his – the more playing time he gets is more indicative on how bad the rest of the roster is than how good he is, I guess, Might be is true. the best way to put that. Yeah. Um, because when he came in, he volunteered – and I think Brandon said this last week – he was a guy that voluntarily was was ready to sit out this year because he knew personally that he wasn't ready yet to play in high major D1 games. And, and I think it's telling that he's come out and done so quite respectably well the last two games against big D1 oh, it, schools. It's, and, and that's something I heard this, this offseason leading up to, you know, the, I think I said this on this show, but the day before he received his immediate eligibility, I was talking to a parent uh, of one of the players on this team who they get sent the the film of the, you know, the practice film of, of everything. So they were watching it and, and kind of going things over and, and he was kind of giving me a, a breakdown of how things are looking and, and who stood out to him. He was like, dude, I'm telling you, Jacob Toppin does not need another year to sit out. He does not. He's, he's, he's not, you know, he's still going to be end of the bench type guy, but mm-hmm. 
he's a guy that you could trust in certain key situations to come in and, and make plays. And what has he done this year? Exactly that. I mean, the fact that you, that UK needed him as the go-to scoring option at the end of that Kansas game kind of makes me sick that nobody else was, was able to step up and fill that void. I mean, it, it should not be the guy that was trying to sit out this year because he didn't the even guy from Rhode Island. Already yet. That, that whole dynamic should not have worked out the way it did. But given that opportunity, he took advantage of it. He scored, what, six points against Kansas there at the end of the game, and he kind of gave them that last little run. They, they ended up losing, and I, I really would prefer it not be Jacob Toppin. I wish it were, you know – anybody else on the roster really uh it's just it's just very telling that he is the one guy that is kind of stepping into his role and and stepping up when no when other players are not right now yeah I think there's a lot of value in that too so I definitely I think he's just going to continue as long as he keeps doing that Cal's going to give him his minutes and you know when you look at his brother if you want to compare him to his brother Obi you know it it makes it it's no it's not strange that he's performing like this too because Obi Toppin was a very confident athlete as well. So I just think it it's, it makes sense that Jacob's kind of playing as, as well as he's been in the last couple of games. As, even if he's not necessarily that great right now, he's still – he's shown signs that he can be. And that's, yeah, that's I, what's good. I agree. I agree. Need. All right, you want to – let's transition to some uh, women's basketball because I got some things to talk about, and I'll uh, let you chime in as well, and we can go, uh, go through these – let's go through these first – well, we'll just go through the last like couple games, but I got a lot of notes that I'd like to talk about. Go for it. Let's ride the wave. All right. Five and oh. Some decent opponents last few games. Uh, the biggest win, obviously, was the uh, comeback win against Indiana, which I thought for sure they were going to lose by halftime. Did you ha- catch that game? I, I think I was tr- – that was Sunday, right? Yeah, last – yeah, not that long ago. What, that was during – I think I was traveling to whatever the game was for yeah. whatever. So, I was I was following along with it, but I wasn't able to watch it with my own two eyes. But I was very aware of the comeback effort. Well, they were they were essentially down – they were down 10 entering the fourth quarter, but, like, just looked yes not that great at all through the first three quarters. And then all of a sudden they just turned into this team that looked like the one that could, you know, kind of put stuff together and really make, make things dangerous. So – We've we we now have plenty of evidence through five games that they can uh, keep this up and contend with some of the best teams. So it's just kind of going from there, continuing on. So some of the highlights. Let's just let's just talk about Ryan Howard for a second because obviously very easy to do. She's still the best, probably the best player in the country, but her uh, scoring numbers are kind of dipping a little bit. Um, but if you've if if anyone's been out there paying close attention, Ryan Howard has turned into essentially a playmaking point guard at six foot two. She's trying, she's whipping one hand passes into the lane across the court, uh, sometimes a little bit lazily, um, but I think that will come, uh, or that will be fixed over time as they kind of drill that into she's her. Te- she's dipping her toes in the water right now. She's she's just she testing sure her abilities right now. And she's, she's just and they're looking herself. really well. well. And the thing is, we're it's finally showing up in the stat sheet the last couple of games in the fact that Kentucky's finally starting to hit shots. Their first few games, they really weren't shooting very well. But the last, like, especially against Indiana and Marshall specifically, um, they shot really well. I think against Indiana, they were like 8 for 16 from three-point line. If Kentucky shoots 8 for 16, you know, they don't have to make 10 a game like they did last year. If this Kentucky team shoots 8 for 16 from three, they're going to win 9 out of 10 games no matter who they're playing. Um, yep. 
and a big part of that is just I'm gonna I'm, I feel like I'm going all over the place here, but I'm just gonna let my my words go. A big part of their their reason for not having to hit as much threes right now is that just their height. That is kind of you know all of a sudden we have a six four center in Olivia Owens who is actually really really good um, in the post. She's not necessarily a, a threat to come out and shoot the shoot like from outside or anything, but she has a really good post move, a go-to post move over her right shoulder that's pretty much unstoppable. She's so she, it's almost a hook. I'm surprised she doesn't get called for it more, but she pretty much just like muscles her way around any defender, right up easy layup. So Kentucky has these more options down low that they don't necessarily have to play outside as much, um, and I think that's just something that we haven't seen in a few years. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, that is one thing that that I talked about on this show specifically about how excited I was about, you know, the, the possibility of Olivia Owens and, and just kind of adding that whole new front court dynamic to this, to this, uh, you know, you already know what you're going to get out of, you know, Ryan Howard and, and impressive guard play. But that was the one question that I had, like, okay, how, how can, you know, how can Olivia Owens anchor the middle? And, and so far I've been very impressed with that for sure. And going back like kind of how Ryan's not going to have to score, all these are 23 and a half a game because she has players like Olivia Owens and especially going down, you know, this Kentucky team is actually, they're littered with five-star recruits right now. Like, you know, normally we're used to kind of bringing up like Kiki McKinney and um, Tatiana Wine, they're both seniors, but they were three stars when they got here and they've slowly kind of worked their way up. And, you know, now they're good enough to, you know, be players that are have five-star value. And if you want to, you know, kind of equate it to that, but all these transfers, Robin Benton, Olivia Owens, um, uh, Chastity Powers with Draymond Edwards, all five-star players, and all of them besides Chastity are uh, not seniors. Uh, like Olivia is a is a redshirt sophomore, and then like I th- so is Draymond Edwards, and Benton is a junior. Um, and these are SEC caliber players that have already been doing this for you know a year or two before, and it's just it's talent that I've only to be fair I've only been covering the team this is my third year, but they didn't have anything like this in their first two years. They generally did not like. Macy Morris was very good, but she turned herself into a five-star recruit by the time she was a senior. Right. You know, like Robin Benton right now is a junior. Kentucky's not five and zero without Robin Benton playing immediately right away, and that's that's she's just one of those players that she plays kind of like how Jada Roper did last year for those of, that are familiar yeah. with her game and the fact that she plays really really good on-ball defense. She's a she's can take it to the rim. She can shoot pretty much all the thing that things that Jada Roper did, except Jada Roper was a three-star. And Rob Benton's a five-star recruit, so just kind of you know translate those at, at skill levels however you'd it's like. It's obvious, yeah. The, the, and the it's just making difference. sense, yeah. So the fact that you know Ryan Howard's not going to score, she has. I don't think I think her best game so far is twenty-two points against Indiana. She might not ever score thirty points this year, just because she's just not going to have to, because Drayona Edwards can score twenty on any given moment, as can Chastity Patterson, and you know those players kind of still have their issues right now, Chastity with. Uh, figuring out the offense still and Dreona with just uh, team defense. But in terms of overall scoring ability, these are just two players that, you know, they don't, Ryan Howard doesn't have to try and come down and score all these points like she did last year. She realistically did have to score all these points for Kentucky to win. Now she doesn't have to. And I think that's why she's gotten so much better at playmaking because she understands that if she can just get her uh, teammates open, they're going to be hitting all these shots. And, you know, you even have Blair Green, who was not that great last year. And she's even kind of admitted that her confidence is down. Now she just had a career high against Marshall. She's shooting every time she touches the ball. She has the best chemistry of anyone with Ryan Howard, which is really important. Those two, like, 
they they have a chemistry that Blair knows when to get open and Ryan's going to find her every time. So it's just things that I haven't seen from this team in the last two or three years. You know, you can credit it to talent or Coach Elsie or whatever you want, but it's just it's different. Different team. Yeah. And and one thing we should add as well, uh, next week, uh, was it January 16th, January 17th, the official vote for the one-time transfer rule to officially go December through? December 16th. Is that what you said? You said January. Yeah, the, the, whatever it is. December next week. December 16th, yes. This week, like, or yeah, next next week, we will know if Jasmine Massengill will be – Yeah part of this roster and it by I think it was Jeff Goodman's report came out mm-hmm. and said that it's it's pretty pretty cut and dry that this is happening so add yet another dynamic piece to this big talented puzzle that uh, that you know Kentucky has right now I, I think that that's going to be another piece that makes you go okay like they're already right there they're already off to this hot start making these awesome comebacks but just how special can they be with this additional kind of star talent and to be clear i would say that you know in terms of the elites of women's college basketball i would still probably put kentucky at like tier two and then you know you've got like south carolina yukon baylor those schools at number at tier one but yukon still hasn't played a game yet south carolina's already lost baylor lost actually to an arkansas team that kentucky will have to play this year who's really good so the top of the country or the top teams are even falling early and Kentucky's kind of right there. You know, they already beat the Big Ten favorites in Indiana. So it's not necessarily as um, top-heavy as it normally is in in women's college basketball. And I think, you know, obviously the pandemic can be attributed to that because UConn, I think, plays their first game. Like, they might have just played it, like, maybe yesterday or upcoming. But, you know, they've been delayed for so long. Um, And actually, Louisville is a really, really good team. Louisville might be one of the best teams in the country as well. But they have some really good players. They're they're – like you got Louisville, then you do have Kentucky. So they're comparable enough. But what Jasmine Massengill would bring is shoring up kind of the one area that Kentucky has. If you want to put a hole at, it would be backup point guard. And that's just because yeah. Aaron Toller's a freshman and Cameron Roach hasn't played in two years due to just various injuries. And they're kind of the two backup point guards. So when Chassie Patterson goes out, they could still play Ryan Howard at point guard, which is no, it's never a bad thing. Uh, and Draymond and Edwards can even handle the ball if they need to. And Blair Green's kind of shown the same thing as well. But Jasmine Massengill is a six-foot pure point guard. Like, she passes, rebounds. She's not the best shooter, but she's going to play really hard defense. She's – I don't – I wouldn't say – her and Chastity Patterson are honestly probably on the t- same level in terms of just overall talent. And I think bringing her in and uh, Coach uh, Amber Smith, I think it was, said even the other day that – Jasmine's doing everything that the team's doing. So theoretically, by the time she's ready to go, if this Jeff Goodman report turns out to be true and she gets eligible in the next few days, um, that just, like you said, that adds another layer to this team that now they legitimately will have 10 10 players that they can go to. They will have no holes, anything like that. Um, So I'm very, very, if that happens, I really would like to, I'm very excited. Because then at that point, you know, you could, you could potentially bump Kentucky up to that maybe the 1.5 tier if you want, uh, just depending on how it all kind of meshes together in those early stages. But I would just like to see – I mean, Jeff Goodman's pretty reliable, I feel like, as much as Kentucky yeah, fans hate him. He's, he's – yeah. He knows what he's talking about. So I would – and if he said all transfers, and it's just, you know, there's no reason for Jasmine Massengill not to. So that's an – yeah, it's an NCAA-wide ruling if this comes to fruition. Yeah, and I think – 
the, the biggest part of that, like you said, is that she's already in the system. She's already practicing. She's already like in it all the way. And I remember back in that 2010, 2011 season, Kentucky, the, the men's team with Enos Cantor, how Josh Harrelson, like even Josh Harrelson said, like, look, you guys know who I am. You know, I'm just this big, burly, unathletic, just, you know, kind of low skilled. I'm just a workhorse down low. You, you know what I bring to the table. Um, but he said that working against and alongside Enos Cantor that whole year, just being in practice, being alongside a, a, a player of his caliber completely changed his game. And, and mm-hmm. we are a very similar situation with this where she's already she's already working out. She's already practicing. She's already building chemistry with the team. So it's not, there's not going to be a, that much of a, a, you know, a, a trial period, I guess, of, of her interjecting back herself back in, into the lineup for the first time, I guess yeah. it, it's going to be a very seamless transition, I think for that, that, you know, that, that primary backup point guard role that Kentucky so desperately needs. I think it's just, that is going to be, a very very exciting move and I think like what we talked about in the the past several episodes especially leading up to the season it's so exciting that this year is kind of seen as the trial and error like let's just let's just see how good this team can be right now but the real expectations are for next year like next year like next year's when everybody's going to be connected so this everything that happens this year I mean again the season counts it's it's not not saying that at all but this is kind of the let's see what we got year while next year is the, we know what we have. It's time to win it type thing. So yeah, it's more excitement underway for the the women's basketball program. Something that the uh, men's team could definitely learn from right now. It sure could. And Jasmine Mazingill is another five-star. She was a five-star at a high school too. So it's just, you know, they're not doing it through necessarily the recruiting aspect, although treasure hunt was a five-star and actually I should talk about the freshman here in a second, but you know, Matthew Mitchell, to his credit, he after, and I even wrote a post about this, is kind of ironic, you know, three or four years ago, they had five for six transfers leave. This year, he brought in a batch of transfers that are making the team as talented as they've ever been and, you know, bringing in five-star elite level talent. So it's kind of, you know, this is more or less, this is Coach Mitchell's team. You know, Elsie's going to take them as far as they go, but Mitchell created this team and it's kind of just, it was, I thought it was interesting to see that that parallel of just how, how weird things can change in four years in that aspect. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think there was uh, the freshman. I want to talk about the freshman one more time uh, because people have been asking me about the freshman. Actually, let me talk about Emma King is still in pro, uh, COVID protocols. These are just things I'm going to talk about real quick that uh, people shoot me messages about. Emma King is still in COVID protocol. I think that started on the game before Indiana. No, maybe it's the game before. So she's probably close. She'll probably be back with the team soon. Kiki McKinney did not play the last game against Marshall due to a shoulder injury that she actually uh, hurt during the Indiana game of halftime of that one. But she ended up playing the rest of the Indiana game and then sat the Marshall game. So I assume that it means it's more of a – and they listed her as day-to-day, so it's more of a we'll wait until you play – you know, we play a good team before she comes back. And they play Samford this Sunday, so I wouldn't expect – you know, if Kiki plays, she's not going to play that much. But – to the freshmen, they have had a a very rough time acclimating to the mm-hmm. uh, college game, much like you know Lance Ware and Devin Askew have. Just in, uh, we've seen like spurts of of uh, like you know optimism from those from the three of Treasure Hunt, Nia Leverett, and Aaron Toller. Um, but you know they they 
couldn't do anything against Indiana just because, you know, Indiana's a really good team. Kansas State, they didn't get any run either. Um, Marshall, they did play a little bit better, and uh, you could see that Treasure Hunt has the skill. She's just kind of rough with her shot right now. Nia Leveretter yeah. is probably going to – Nia Leveretter will probably be the, the freshman that plays most this year just because she got nine – she got eight rebounds against uh, Marshall. Four of them were on the offensive glass. She grabs anything – in very limited minutes. So she alone will get five, she can get five minutes a game just because coach Elsie knows that she'll go out there and grab five rebounds. So Nia Leveretter has had a really impressive start so far uh, when she does get the opportunity to Aaron Toller is she's got some offensive game. It's very clear. She's just, she's five, six, and it's just, it's coming a little bit uh, slower for her than, um, you know, just adapting to the college game and treasure's kind of in the same boat as well, but Nia's played really well. So there's, that's another player that, you know, along with all these veteran transfers and experiences and stuff like that, that they do have a freshman down there that they can kind of rely on to come in and bring in a little extra spark. So, like we said, all good signs for the women's basketball team. Very Which is, exciting. It's very, it's very weird that, you know, they're just so opposite. It doesn't feel like that should be the case ever. Or the yeah. men's and women's yeah. team. Number nine oh. for the women's team. This is only the – their highest ranking ever for the women's team was number four back in 1980 or something like that when Valerie still was here. Wow. So I don't know if they'll ever get number four would be pretty lofty. It's weird to see the women's team ranked in the top 10, just because they typically don't have a number, a single digit number by their name. And then it's yeah, weird. It's usually to see. like that 12, 15, 20. Yeah, very always. It, it's always in the teens, like the low team, that lottery number, late lottery is what we'll call it. NBA terms. Um, but then it's weird not to see Kentucky have a number next to them at all yeah the men's it's, team go figure the one year we all hyped up both of these teams and said oh this is going to be the this is going to be the one and it, of course well you know we thought you know this is kind of our wash year if you want to look at it like that duke's already treated it like they're uh, like a throwaway year so why can't we that's all other situation in itself like that's i don't hey, know if we, people... let's let's talk about coach k and uh, scott what's his face for a second because scott's tots I really, I really have an issue with Scott Scatter Satter. How do you say it? Scatterfield? Is it Satterfield? Scatterfield? Satterfield. Satterfield. Man, I had some issues with what he was saying, and everyone was kind of grilling him for it on social media. But what he was saying about, you know, the players don't have a home when they get off the field, or they don't have a family outside of playing football. And it's like, are you – I'll bleep myself here, but are you fucking stupid? Like, I just <laughs> – it was ridiculous of him to say that. And he tried to walk back those comments the other day or yesterday he posted that shit online. Like it just, it, it, when I read his little apology letter last night, it really, I just sat there. I was like, this guy, I was like, I can't believe it. Louisville fans should not mess with this guy. I, that's why I'm so, I'm just so, so grateful that coach Stoops is not dumb enough to do something like that because I just couldn't, I couldn't support a team who's coached by a guy that that's, he's just that brainless. It seems like right now. Yeah. Or tone deck. Yeah, really I cannot, I, I couldn't imagine looking a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old kid in the eye and saying, my life is more valuable than yours. My yeah. family is more valuable than yours. You are a three to four year pawn for me in this program. Did none while, of his players have kids at all? Yeah. Like it's is that what he's trying and, to say or have families or anything. It's like that? not even like that part too. Like the whole family. Yeah. We, everybody has family like that that type of stuff rubbed me the wrong way but it like just imagine if, like, like Bowden here imagine if Stoops said that about you know with having Lynn Bowden here who had his kid like 
Sorry, I interrupted yeah, you again, it, but this just gets it, me, but, it gets me fired up. Yeah, it felt like he was trying to tell everybody, look, I understand that that you know you guys are upset, but I'm the coach. I have a long time, you know, life to live and and I'm I'm trying to establish things for my family. These kids are just going to be here for 3 3 to 4 years. And what's so funny is Kentucky has established that 4 for 40 program where it's just like, no, coming to Kentucky is not a 4-year decision. It's a 40-year decision. We want you to be here long-term to, you know, build life skills, to learn how to be a father, learn how to be a husband, learn how to be a good, you know, man, hard worker, you know, even if you're not in the NFL, build those life skills. That's something that Kentucky has literally gone out of their way to establish. And Scott's tots on the other end of the spectrum goes out of his way to say, yeah, none of that's all, none of that's important. Uh, You know, you guys are your you guys are players. I'm the coach. Settle into the roles that we, that society has granted, put down on you. It's just like, oh yeah. God, like you could not be more tone deaf and digging yourself a worse hole imaginable. I mean, just what a what a moron. I cannot I cannot physically believe that he did that. And you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and just say that you know Kentucky's a better school than Louisville, and and because you know those schools do things wrong. But you know, just objectively, what Scott said was just. It was dumb. It was tone deaf. It was ridiculous. So, you know, Kentucky does, you know, Stoops has at least, he would handle that situation better. And I I just, I feel good knowing that the coach of the team that I support would never say something like that. That just makes you feel good. And then you have Coach K, who is essentially saying that we've lost three games in a row. And who was it? Who was that coach? Nate Oates? Who's he coaching now? Nato, it's at Alabama. Was it Buffalo, yeah. Alabama. Was he at Buffalo or am I wrong about that? Yeah. He was. He, he was, was at Buffalo. Alabama. Yeah. Um, what he said was so right where he was like, if, Co- if Coach K won these, those last three games, he wouldn't be saying that. And that's just, yeah. that's so, it's so unbelievably true because he wouldn't. Coach K, Coach K wouldn't say any of that crap if they had won. I don't even know who they'd lost to. I know they beat Bellerman. Good for them, but. They are two and two on the year. They won against. Bellerman and Coppin State, even though the Coppin State win was only by 10 points. Let's just Uh-oh. put that out there right now. Bellerman played um, them pretty well through the first half, and uh, from what I saw, they, too, I kind of watched them. They did, and their two That's losses a, came ooh. against the two teams they the, the two teams that were actually somewhat competitive in Michigan State and Illinois. That's um, right, yeah, yeah. But those are two really good teams, to be fair. But still. Yeah. So If he, won, if he split one of those games, you, there's no way he's saying that. So, Coach Illinois K is the Coach K is the biggest fraud in the history of college basketball. I've said <laughs> there we this. go. I've said, I've said this on the Source Say podcast. I've said this on every opportunity that I get the chance to talk about Duke. I will let you know, and I will say it to his face, I will let you know he is the biggest fraud in the history of college basketball. He is the most egotistical, self-centered, only cares about his own legacy and his own win total coach that has ever graced this freaking planet. Um he is a guy that talking in recruiting circles understand that he is, he's a legend. He's, he's a guy that he's, you know, he, he's, he can coach get K. things done just, just off name brand alone. That's just, you know, he's coach K of course he's going to be able to do things, but I think there's a level of respect or lack of respect, I guess um, for a lot of people, just because they know that, his best interests are in his himself and the Duke program, not the players. He does not run a players first program, no matter how much he says it. 
all the stories of you remember when Semi Ojale, who's now with the Boston Celtics, your boy, um, he his mother was in the office with Coach K trying to tell him that they were transferring away from the program and that uh, basically he Coach K stood over her and he she, the, the mom got down on his on her hands and knees and was cowering and begging for forgiveness. Yes, I wrote this story on KSR. Look it up. I promise you it's on there. It was the most sickening story. And there's so many other parents, you know, all these – so many other parents that have come out and said, this dude is not the, the guy that you guys hype him up to be. Yes. If you fit the brotherhood agenda, if you're a Jason Tatum of the world where you're a superstar, of course they're going to cater to your needs. But what about the Derek Thornton's of the world? The, the low end five stars or the guys that just don't make it with the program. How do they go? Coach Cal will have James Young come back and be the Y at Kentucky. And if, if James Young asked him, Hey, my career is kind of shot right now. Can you help me get this opportunity? Shoot, he signed a deal with the New York Knicks. How'd that Kentucky situation work with him? I know it's with the G League and all that, but you get what I'm saying. Coach Cal goes out of his way. He will take the criticism on the chin of, yeah, we've only won one national championship since I've been here. Yeah, we haven't been to a Final Four since 2015. Blah, 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 blah. Like He will take all of that criticism on the chin knowing that he can still look at his players in the eye and say, I got your back. That's something that that is something that is so priceless on the recruiting scene. Something that he will always be able to look at his team at, at potential recruits and say, no matter no matter how hard times get, think of that Dewan Wagner situation. Dewan Wagner back in Memphis is trying to decide whether he's going to come back to Memphis or not. He's a top ten draft pick. He kind of leans toward returning. Coach Kyle says, no, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. You cannot you know, pass up on the situation. He is a, a significant illness slash a bunch of different injuries, a bunch. Of, it was just kind of like one of those situations where everything, once he got to the league, everything kind of hit him all at once. And he was out of the league in like two or three years, but he was the number six draft pick in America. And if it, if, if, if coach Cal would have done the coach K route and said, Oh, well, you know, yeah, you're top six draft pick, but you could be number one. If you come back, you know, he, if, if, if he had gone that route, he could have come back. He would have gotten that. Those injuries got would have had that. I think it was a. Um, I think he had it. He had to get his colon removed or something very very serious. I mean, it was yeah, pretty Jesus. big deal. If that hadn't, if if that were Coach K, he would have convinced him to return, and he would have never made a, a cent playing basketball. I mean, he just. I mean, maybe going to overseas to play it in Estonia or something. But that decision was a lifelong win for Dewan Wagner because he was able to put food on the table for, you know, NBA money for, you know, guaranteed contract, no matter how bad things got there. That is something that like, I mean, you look at DJ Wagner, the number one recruit in the class of 2023, people lock him in at Kentucky because of that relationship he has with his dad, because of that trust factor. You don't get that many people in the brotherhood that are coming out and vouching for coach K the way people vouch for coach Cal, no matter what the win record it win loss, how many titles Cal's win, whatever, the, whatever it is, you will never have that with, with coach K. And it's just, that's just a fact. And I know I've been rambling for 10 minutes talking about coach K, but it's deserved. I just, I think he's the biggest absolute fraud on planet earth and the people that idolize him and think that he's the, the greatest person ever, you know, grace this earth just drives me nuts. I, I, I'm if the, the fact that he is canceling on Gardner, Gardner Webb and, you know, Sienna or whatever the other, 
non-conference school schools are that, that he's tossing to the side because apparently you can't get COVID against those schools. You can only get, you know, yeah, that, you, that's some you can't mushy get it, brain you can't logic. Get it against the, the, the conference only schedule, but you can, you, you can get it against the non-conference. That makes no sense at all. And I get the whole Christmas thing. I wholeheartedly support seeing family on Christmas and you know, that side of things, but that's, it's for show. I, I just, I will never, never believe it. If he's, if Duke started the season four and zero this season, we would never hear another word. He would he would keep rolling with his non conference schedule and keep patting himself on the back because that's what Coach K knows how to do. How about the New York Knicks? <sighs> the New York Kentucky Knicks. How about the New York Kentucky Knicks? I'd much rather talk about them than Coach K. They Coach well, K raises probably... my blood my blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, Scott Scott for me and Coach K for you. Look at that. Yeah, let's do it. We won't. Uh, we 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 need to wrap up, but um, it was funny that the whole uh, the, the New York Knicks thing because I remember me and Jack were texting about Scalabi Sierra. You know, Mark Stein. Uh, we have his Twitter notifications on, so he sent it out and was like, "Scalabi Sierra signing to the Knicks." And I was like, "Holy, sh- the Knicks G League team, the Westchester Knicks." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, we we needed a Mark Stein press release for that one." And then I think uh, a tweet later, he ju- he bumbled in or bumbled jumbled in uh, James Young as well, right, or something. Yeah. So and they were both playing for the Knicks like as as tryouts. So it's like. Now you're just trying to – I mean, shout to Mark Stein for pushing the Kentucky narrative because that's all he did there is just help out Kenny Payne's recruiting process there, which is obviously going well because he's just – did you see what he said about Emilio quickly the other day? You might have wrote that post yourself. I don't know, but did you see that at all? Which part? He said that Emmanuel quickly was one of the best shooters in the league. Who Kenny said Payne. that? Kenny Payne did. Kenny Payne? Yeah. That's my boy right there. Yeah, that's, Kenny Payne's. You're damn right, Kenny he's, Payne. He is working. He is working uh, that Kentucky route hard up there. So hey, shout out to Kenny Payne. He's, he bleeds well, blue apparently. Do for you life. remember when KSR? We were the first people to report that 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 Kenny Payne going to the Knicks under Tom Thibodeau. There were some rumors that when Jason Kidd was kind of being flirted with for that job, that Kenny Payne would be a potential option. But when Tom Thibodeau was hired we were the first to break that story matt texted me it was like a sunday at like 10 30 p.m and it was like hey i just got this scoop we got to get this out there and and we put we we put that story out and even back then the source that matt talked to said they are hiring him here because they think that they're going to be able to get the Devin Booker's of the world. They're going to be able to convince the Carl Towns of the world. And that's what they did. Look, well, what, dude, we've, look we've talked about it so before. Far. We've talked about it before. Like the last 10 years of the NBA has just been Kentucky's kind of establishing themselves. Like the next 10 years, as long as Cal's here and continues to do this one and done thing or however long that continues on, is just going to be more Kentucky players dominating the league and the Miami heat. That's why we were so shocked that they didn't take Tyrese Maxey because Pat Riley is so clearly in love with at least the idea of taking Kentucky players. So, and it's just, you know, 10 of the top ESPN's top 100 are Kentucky players. And that's just, that number is only going to continue to grow. So it, uh, you know, good for the Knicks for maybe they have something. I don't, you know, Kenny Payne's only pulled in Nerland's Noel to start. So maybe, maybe get a bigger fish to fry than him and uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist to start off with maybe someone that can actually contribute, but I like where his, I like where they're starting out at. And, you know, if it can land them a, De'Aaron Fox in free agency years down from the road, you know, why it, maybe it was worth it. And that's the, that's, and uh, that's the actually, plan, I'm sure. 
we will get our first opportunity tonight as the right. NBA preseason is officially pre-season here. I think I counted. It has been seven weeks, maybe I think it was nine, eight weeks, nine weeks, something since the very last NBA game in the NBA finals down in the bubble. Uh, and we are officially here with the NBA preseason. Zach, are you a, are you a preseason guy? You, you follow Obviously preseason not. closely? No, yeah. I do not like the preseason. <laughs> uh, we kind of talked about it before, but I like, I knew the preseason was happening tonight. I didn't know any of the games that are happening. I know that none of the players that I want to watch are going to be playing. I feel like this year of all years, the preseason is going to tell you even little than it did before uh, or than it normally does. So I'm kind of still slowly working. It's just been the offseason was so quick and, you know, college basketball has already started. Normally it's NBA starts and then we go into college basketball. So now I'm kind of, I'm just really off my, my mental calendar, my mental year long calendar. And I'm just really into the basket, the college scene right now. And I'm sure once the season starts in 11 days, I'll be into it. And next time uh, we do this podcast, I'm sure podcast next time we do this podcast, I'll, uh, we'll go a little bit more in depth on what we're going to see and expect. Cause it's going to be a fun year for sure. Um, I just need to get a little bit more exhilarated about it. Well, if you are interested, I believe the New York Knickerbockers featuring Emmanuel Quickly. And I think I would assume that like Scal and James Young, the guy, the fringe guy, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, I think those guys are probably going to play tonight. I mean, the Knicks don't really have a whole lot of like. I don't know know. about Scal and uh, James Young. I don't know if they've move them up or if they, I don't know I don't, I'm not sure how that works but I'm sure you'll see think pre I think with preseason they can just you bump have, them up whenever they want you're you're able to have like 20 roster spots or yeah, something okay, and then yeah. you cut it down or whatever uh, right. because remember like last preseason taco fall was the big yeah yeah, yeah, yeah everybody watching, spot though he earned himself yeah. a spot so he, he did. So, so yeah. That's James Young. Here's your chance. We will have that. I believe the Rockets will play at 8 p.m. on NBA TV. So, we'll get our first yep. shot Rockets at, Bulls. at Rockets Bulls. We'll get our first shot at DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall. Maybe if they I think they actually are supposed to play. And especially with no James Harden, it'll be – you'll get a really fun look. I wouldn't ex- – if they do play, I wouldn't expect more than a couple minutes out of either of them. Just maybe Especially John Wall. Wet. But they will get their. We'll get our first opportunity to see former wildcat. Those former wildcats suit up uh, alongside one another for the first time since 2010. So mm-hmm. that will be a lot of fun. Um, we, yeah, not a whole lot to take away with the NBA preseason, but certainly something to watch if you're looking for it this evening. I have the uh, injury report pulled up. It's um, as of December 3rd. Demarcus Cousins was day to day. So he could theoretically be good to go. And John Wall is not on the injury report at all. So he should be good to go tonight. Sounds so go. good. Hopefully that some uh, good. some boogie wall action for the first time in a decade. It's kind of crazy to say. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Just just like this podcast was, Zach. This was a good one. We went long, but we do what we do. We always go long. We needed it. We needed a little vent session. Um, yeah, we needed to get those our takes off at the end there. That was necessary. It was very well worth it. All right. Well, we will end it there. Zachary, uh, where can fans find your work? They can find me at Kentucky Sports Radio. My name is Zach Gagan, Z-A-C-K, Gagan, G-E-O-G-H-E-G-A-N, Triple G, on Twitter, Z-Gagan, K-S-R. Give me a look. You can also find my work at KentuckySportsRadio.com. Big fan of that website. We do a lot of fantastic work that I'm very proud of, that uh, Zach is very proud of, so – 
Find us there and reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. Find me on Twitter at jackpilgrimksr. Uh, we will be back next time. Peace.